You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by wherever and however you're listening. We always appreciate it. This is the very first episode. Well, yeah, this is the very first episode of the Raptors Rapture Podcast. I know that it has been on your timeline at some point before but we have a bit of a new regime coming in and that new regime is me myself hunter surplus who will be hosting the show alongside most of the time mike bossetti and mike bossetti's on the other line with me mike how's it good it's kind of like the Dwayne casey nick nurse coaching chain same raptors different team same thing going on here exactly and if you guys don't know which you should already we are part of the raptors rapture website blog uh go follow raptors rapture on twitter it's just at raptors rapture very straightforward it's a very good follow if you are a raptors fan always go check out the blog new stuff comes out every single day if you didn't catch a game you can find grades takeaways everything that you need to know about that game very good thing to to go to mike bosetti where can people find you on twitter uh you can follow me at mike bo sports so awesome be easy enough very easy, and just like the Raptors, Raptor Twitter is a good follow for Raptors fans, so is Mike. So right now, we are going to do a little breakdown of this Raptors team. They sit at 14-4, and four, which is second in the NBA's Eastern Conference. They've got six straight wins, third defense, seventh offense, third best net rating. Mike, how legit is this team? Yeah, I mean, clearly they're pretty legitimate here. I think... There are some questions to see uh, about sustainability with the outside shooting of this team and a couple people off to hot starts that maybe I don't expect to last. But, you know, if you counteract that with the fact that they have been banged up so far this season, uh, it's I mean, it certainly looks like if not the NBA, this is at least a contender for the Eastern Conference. And, you know, outside of the Milwaukee Bucks, they look as good as anyone right now. Out of the defense, I kind of mentioned there they've got the third best defense, seventh best offense. Which of those is more likely to continue as the season goes on? I think it's the defense. Uh, when you just kind of look at the personnel of this team, they have so many smart defenders, and they really don't have any weak links, I think, is what makes them so great defensively. And when you can kind of do different things on a night-to-night basis, and Nick Nurse has been very good about kind of switching the game plan up between blitzing pick-and-rolls and dropping pick-and-rolls, I think it gives you a big advantage over the course of 82-game season. So when I look at the personnel of this team, I see kind of a more defensive-minded bunch and just competence throughout the defense. Offensively, I you know they've surprised me this season, and obviously seventh is very impressive. But I you know I think that defensively they just have kind of more guys that can kind of do their job. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Heading into the season, we knew they were going to be good defensively. That was kind of what we thought the identity of this team was going to be, and it has been so far. The offense was where the questions were coming in, and so far this season, there hasn't been any problems. But we saw it happen for little stretches last year and sometimes in the playoffs where the offense did kind of get stagnant and it did struggle at times. And Every team is going to have that. It's just kind of how they bounce back. So far, they've looked really good. You mentioned it early on in the discussion, talking about their kind of shooting from outside being crazy, crazy good and, and some ridiculous numbers, which they have been. And if if those do start to drop off, um, the offense will obviously start to drop off as well. But for right now, like you said, the defense is definitely going to be the thing to 
probably continue the most and maybe not the third best in the in the league because not a lot of teams can be that good, but definitely definitely near the top five, if not right there within it. Yeah, I think the goal for the Raptors kind of is to hover around in the top five defensively, and then you rank around 10, 12 offensively, and you know, that obviously puts you at one of the five or six best teams in the league, so you'll take that every time. So to me, that's kind of the goal is rank around fifth defensively, 10 to maybe even 15 offensively, but stay above average. And, you know, that's obviously a very good team. Around this time in the NBA, the trade rumors start to come out. And one trade rumor that has kind of led the discussion has been the Spurs looking to maybe move DeMar DeRozan, who we know is an ex-Raptor, an ex-fan favorite. And one of the teams that has kind of been floated around in that discussion has been the Toronto Raptors. What is your opinion on the Raptors giving something up to get DeMar DeRozan back? And if you kind of like the idea, what's the most that you'd give up to get him? You know, in terms of kind of if we look at it as an asset play, DeMar DeRozan's contract runs out on the 21st. That would be, you know, the ideal timeline for the Raptors. It looks like that's when they're going to get back into the free agency game, into the cap space game with Giannis becoming a free agent at that time. So there it makes sense contractually they have a couple pieces that they could trade for him uh you know Marcus Saul makes it work uh Abaka I think you might have to throw in Stanley Johnson to make it work but as far as a kind of asset play or a move like that it works on all those fronts uh but the more important aspect and sometimes basketball people lose this is just on the court and I I don't see it fitting well at all on the court DeMar DeRozan is a guy who likes the ball in his hands. He dominates the ball. Uh, he's a, kind of a floor raiser offensively and a talented individual scorer. But every time you have DeMar DeRozan uh, with the basketball, that means you don't have Pascal Siakam with it. And this Raptors team could use a little bit more shot creation, but I'm not sure they need a guy who kind of dribbles the air out of the ball like DeMar does. So to me, I'm staunchly against this trade. I think that they, Masai Ujiri, when he moved on from him, did it for a reason. I think that he is kind of against this. I don't think that there's any chance that the Raptors pull a deal like this off. Uh, and I think it's more just kind of random fan speculation than it is anything else. Uh, I'm staunchly against it. Uh, so without intimidation, though, what is your theory? Uh, yeah, like like you said, in theory, I think it's kind of, it would be a cool thing, obviously, having the having DeMar DeRozan come back and play for the Raptors and, and hopefully find some success finally as a Toronto Raptor in terms of playoffs and, you know, maybe on the court kind of stuff. But like you said, like in practice, will it work? Chances are probably not for all the reasons that you said. I don't need to dive into it any further. But I it would be cool as a guy who loves DeMar DeRozan and who has loved DeMar DeRozan for a very long time. It's hard for me to say that I don't want the Raptors to trade for him. But I also love this iteration of the Raptors and and how they've been playing so far this season has it just it makes my heart full and warm and makes me feel really good about my favorite sports team. So, you know, it it's 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 a two headed snake here, kind of. And I am I'm leaning more towards keeping the team as is just because I don't want to. I don't want to lose anybody from this team, whether it be an Ibaka or a Gasol, or you know, if you have to throw in Stanley Johnson in a pick or something like that. It's, 
in theory, it would be really nice, but I don't want to have to give anything up to get DeMar DeRozan back, I guess. Yeah, yeah I just, I'm to me, I'm not a DeMar DeRozan guy. I never was. Uh, you know, I like him, not anything personal. I think he did great things for the city. He did great things for the franchise and took them to a level of competence that they haven't shown before, along with Kyle Lowry. But just personally, I don't think that his game is kind of a ceiling-raising game, and I worry that he's just going to control the ball offensively, and then obviously defensively is kind of where he really lacks on that end. So to me, I that's not a guy worth trading for when you're in the Raptors position. Maybe if there's a team like Orlando, or Orlando, Detroit, someone like that, kind of looking to jump into the 5-6 seat of the Eastern Conference, that's fine for them, but... So uh, for where Toronto's at in their timeline, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't really fit the identity of this new age kind of Raptors team, which is so gritty and and hard. And not to say that, not to say that DeRozan isn't the a gritty kind of hard playing uh, basketball player, but he doesn't have the the Rondé Hollis Jefferson gene or the the Fred Van Fleet kind of work really really hard and take take charges and and do all the things that not you know that differentiate a guy who's not necessarily the most talented player in the league uh, to differentiate yourself from the rest of the league. If if a trade for, say, a J.J. Redick, who is kind of another guy who's been floated around, would you be more interested in, in something along those lines rather than a DeMar DeRozan trade? Obviously, you're not a big fan of the DeMar DeRozan trade, but would you be looking to get someone like a J.J. Redick to add to this team to maybe put them over the edge? I don't know if it's Ruddick, uh, you know, for the problem is kind of with matching salaries for the Raptors, who do you send back in the deal? And it probably has to be either a Baca Gasol or if it's a lower, a cheaper contract, it has to be Norman Powell. So you have to be getting an upgrade from Norman Powell in order to do that. I'm not sure JJ Reddick's a significant upgrade from Paul at this point in time. Uh, you know, if you're going to do the Abaka Gasol route, I think you're going to, you know, in order for someone to take them on, they probably want to take them as dead money. Or if they're looking for kind of contention, then you're not getting a good player from them. So it to me, it's tough to kind of find a deal with this team just due to the way the salaries are set up. I think that the one way you might see a trade is if you got the Raptors kind of searching for someone a little bit younger, a little cheaper. And, you know, I don't know exactly who that is, but maybe a rotation piece that they think can kind of grow with the core where they're able to give up some things. But in terms of kind of that win now move, uh, like you mentioned, I just, to me, it's tough to make the salaries work for any deal like that. It's tough because who in the win now move is, is going to be a tough thing to do because like you said, you need to have an improvement over a guy like Norman Powell or over a guy like Abaka or Marcus all. And in some cases you may be able to find that, but is it going to be really worth it? Because obviously the chemistry with this team is so good. And the, the identity of this team, like I mentioned before, is so distinct and, and it's so well known, not only by fans and by the, by the players and coaches and whatnot, but like by the, the league, nobody comes into Toronto thinking that it's going to be an easy game because they just play so hard. And it's, it's going to be tough to find guys who are really going to push the needle in that sense, because not a lot of these big name guys are necessarily built that way. And the ones who are, are not going to be on the trading block for sure. So some news came in right before we started recording this podcast, Mike, and we can just touch on it really quickly. Serge Ibaka 
is going to be back after missing 10 games. 10 games with a sprained ankle. How do you see him fitting back in? And do you think Nick Nurse is going to kind of let him in gently and still use Boucher in some pretty heavy-ish minutes? So I think with him is what you can kind of do is even if he's playing 20 minutes a night, you can play Gasol the other 28, and that's your 48 minutes at center. So for Boucher, I just think the center minutes are kind of done. They played a little bit um, in their most recent game with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Pascal Siakam as the two lone quote-unquote bigs on the floor, even though neither of them are particularly centers. Um, so, yeah, I, to me, the Chris Boucher at center minutes are probably finished. He is, at, at least in my mind, a power forward truly kind of with his skinniness and with his ineffectiveness on the defensive glass. So, yeah, I think that Serge comes back and, you know, maybe you're just playing him 20 minutes a night. But with Gasol there being the starter, you don't really have to ramp him up to an incredible level for him to soak up all the backup center minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at with this, that I think Chris Boucher probably still has time in here as the backup power forward at least for a little bit, but his minutes at center are more or less finished. And maybe there's a spurt where the Raptors go small, but other than that, all 48 minutes will be kind of soaked up by Gasol and Ibaka. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I, and I think that's kind of how it should be and how it's going to be throughout the rest of the year. Boucher did have some pretty solid minutes there when Ibaka was out and, and it was a big whole kind of bench unit coming together and, and playing really well over the past 10 games, but it's not it's not enough to really say, yeah, he, he deserves to take up some of the center minutes between Gasol and Ibaka, and the power forward is probably better suited for him. I don't know how, how many minutes he's going to get either way, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I think he'll he'll get some leeway here with Ibaka kind of coming back, at least in these next two or so games. Yeah, you know, he's a fringe rotation guy who probably is going to be an overqualified player that comes in in case of injury, but if he's just kind of your last member of your rotation, maybe underqualified, he's kind of one of those fringe guys to me where that's where he's at in his career, and that's a tough spot to be in, but uh, we'll see if he gets playing time when they're fully healthy. Yeah. I think that's kind of something to watch in the next you know, month or so of the season. Yeah, I agree. So our last little bit of news here is going to be a quick one. The Raptors unveiled their new city jerseys in an actual game. We had seen them before the they actually wore them on the court, but they, they wore them for the first time on the court at home against the New York Knicks. They are the black and gold, the black and gold ones, not the OVO traditional ones. How do you feel about these jerseys, Mike? Um, yeah, you know, good thing you said it's quick because I think my feelings on these are pretty much as bland as they can be. I don't have any strong thoughts, and I know that doesn't make for a great podcast topic, but, I mean, I guess they're better than the old ones. I still think that my biggest thought on these is they're not the Huskies jerseys, which are the only real kind of alternates that I like other than the retro. So, to me, it's... It is what it is. Like, I, I don't think that they're particularly cool looking. I don't really like them. But, you know, they're not hideous out on the floor like the Orlando Magic uniforms that we saw. Oh, those were so those were so brutal. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. Like, they're okay. If they had maybe, like, 
some pinstripes or something, it would make it a little flashier, make it look a little cooler. But I, I don't know. It's it it is what it is, and you know it, it does fit the whole like Drake and OVO kind of theme. So I get why why they did it. Yeah, you know, I mean, part of it is, you know, I'm not the biggest Drake fan as far as rap goes, so um, I do, you know, not rap. I do like rap music, not hugest Drake guy, so perhaps that's on me not liking OVO. I also think that every kind of team needs this infatuation to try to put work black into their uniform, which I don't totally understand. So, yeah, to me, I don't know. It kind of just seems like a blah change, but it is what it is. Yeah, I guess, you know, it does get a little bit of excitement for some of the people who do like uniforms and whatnot in sports. So good for them. It, you know, I don't hate them. So I guess that's a good thing. I <laughs> yeah. don't hate them. Ringing endorsement. Yeah. Uh, so up next, we're going to talk about our six numbers of the week. So now we're going to get into our six numbers of the week. I chose the number six because, of course, the Raptors play in the six. Uh, which was kind of dubbed by Drake, and I guess we kind of talked about him earlier. So it all it all works out. It all works out. This is perfect. The first number I want to talk about is zero, and I'm sure a lot of people can guess where this zero is coming from. It's the amount of points that Joel Embiid scored in their matchup against the Toronto Raptors. He went zero for 11 in field goals and zero of three from the free throw line. Now, Marcus Gasol was pretty much matched against him every time he was on the floor. Anytime Embiid went to the scores table, Gasol was there. Every time Embiid checked in at any point of the game, Nick Nurse decided to check Gasol in as well. And I guess after seeing what happened in the playoffs last year, that it's obviously a good strategy to go with and that Nick Nurse is going to continue to do so. We do know that Marcus Hall has struggled a little bit on the season, at least on the offensive end. He's not putting up a whole lot of points. He's not doing a whole lot. But is Marcus Saul becoming a little bit underrated? Obviously, he had that really good game against Philly. He only had three points, but he still put up nine assists, six rebounds, and two blocks, holding Joel Embiid to zero points. Do you think at this point, Gasol is kind of becoming a little underrated because of the lack of scoring, I guess you could say, on the offensive end? Yeah, it's it's someone, you know, I, these overrated, underrated kind of are tough for me just based on who you ask, it might change. But in general, I think you're probably right. Yeah, he's become a little underrated. And it's just the stats look bad. You know, he's shooting horrendously from two. Uh, he is not really scoring at all offensively and he's shooting a terrible percentage uh, as far as a true shooting percentage, but he still knows what he's doing offensively. As far as you can give the ball to him in the short roll, he's making the right decision. Uh, you'll notice the assist percentage of the team increases when he's on the floor. And I don't think that's an accident. He just kind of helps move the ball in regards to Embiid uh, defensively, you know, Gasol isn't what he once was. He was a former defensive player of the year candidate and he's obviously no longer that, but he's still kind of in the low post is one of the best in the game there is. So when you face kind of those glutes like Embiid, Jokic, guys like that, there aren't many people I would rather have than Gasol. And he's also really good at that blitzing scheme that the Raptors do and kind of getting those big calls up there and getting in the passing lanes. So, yeah, I think that the offense 
is really rough right now. I'm hoping it will get at least partially better. I do have fears that it won't, but I think what he does other than that is just so helpful to this team. So, yeah, I, I would say that you're correct there. Yeah. Um, and, it you know, you, you kind of touch on it there. It's, you know, he just makes the team better despite not playing very well in the offensive end. He's still a really good passer. He's got the IQ of... You know, he's got one of the best IQs in the entire league, which is super important for a team like the Raptors. And it's it's really shown, and it shows on the defensive end more than anything else, I would say. Did that win give you... Did, it, did that win against the Sixers up your confidence in terms of how this Raptors team looks against some of the better teams in the East? A little bit. You know, I'm just... I'm always skeptical to take something away from one game in an 82 long game season. And there was, uh, you know, as good as Gasol is on Embiid, I don't foresee him seeing him scoring zero points again. So that's one thing. So yeah, um, in a way I gained a little bit just to show that they can hang in there with the big boys, but you were one shot away from missing the game and maybe things look a little differently from that end. And I don't know. I, to me, one game isn't anything, but just the way they played so well and the fact that they at least were in there at the last second of the game and obviously pull away with the win is impressive. So, yeah, I would say a little bit, but again, I'm, I'm skeptical to jump over kind of hoops for one game. I agree. It's, it was nice to see how this team did kind of fare against some of the better teams as they have had a little bit of a soft ish schedule despite all the injuries and stuff. So having them go up against a team like Philly, who is who is that gritty team, like I've said about Toronto. It is cool to see how they how they match up against it, and the starters looked really good in this game, um, you know, despite having Kyle Lowry out of the rotation as a starter. They all they all looked really good. Siakam looked amazing against a very long defensive team where he struggled a little bit in the playoffs last year. So it it did give me a little bit more confidence, but like you said, it's hard to take away too much from one single game. On to the next number, and that number is seven, which is the spot Siakam was on Bill Simmons' top 10 NBA players list that he did on his most recent podcast. And so I don't generally like taking a lot of this uh, under consideration when being like, oh, yeah, the Raptors are getting respect and, you know, the Siakam's actually a really good player, but... You know, like Bill Simmons generally does have a little bit of pull in NBA circles in terms of if he says something, a lot of people will hop on that on that bandwagon kind of and and get in there and and start talking about certain players. The people who were listed ahead of Pascal Siakam were Giannis, James Harden, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, and then Anthony Davis. That is a really special group to be put into. Obviously, those guys have been all NBA talents and some of the best players in the league for quite a while outside of Luka Doncic, obviously. And it seems it seems kind of high, number seven. Do you think that it's warranted? Does he deserve to be a top 10 player in the league or I guess a top seven player in the league when it comes to this rating? No, you, yeah, very rarely do you see 
kind of the team oriented podcast disagree and put their player lower than the national one. So it is a little bit weird that we're both going to be on this, but I'm with you that that's a little bit high. When you look at what Pascal Siakam's doing and his efficiency has dropped this year, a lot of people are saying, you know, well, that's because he's asked to do so much, which is true on one hand, but like guys like Bradley Beal and Carl Anthony Towns probably are kind of shrugging their shoulders. Like you think he has a lot to do offensively. So I, when you consider everything, I think that Siakam's probably, I mean, I don't think seven is an absurd place to put him on the list, but I think he's kind of a tier below kind of with the, I don't think he's, I think Cat's a better player than him right now. And I think that there are a couple other guys that I would rank ahead of him uh, just when you kind of consider their overall impact. I think Siakam's probably in the next tier kind of with that group, but no offense to Siakam, he's been great this season, and he might be playing like a top seven player right now, if that makes sense. But I don't think that's his overall standing in the league just yet. I would say he's more kind of somewhere in the 12 to 15 range. Yeah, and like he's above guys like Jokic. You mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, Paul George, and obviously like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, all those guys who are still who are injured right now who did not make the list. So like... It is kind of it is kind of weird. Like even Joel Embiid, I know we saw and we were kind of talking about how bad he was in that one game against the Raptors, but he's still kind of been a consensus top ten player in the league and one of the best centers in the league. Carl Anthony Towns has been playing out of his mind this year. Bradley Beal has had a really good season and is putting up, uh, you know, numbers that are fairly similar to Pascal Siakam, and he wasn't even really in the conversation. It is it is nice to see, however, that he is kind of getting the respect. And if you do look at it, he is leading this team to a 14-4 and record without Kyle Lowry and without Serge Ibaka, who are two of their top five players on the team who are out with injuries. So, you know, I do think it's high still, but being in that conversation isn't necessarily too far-fetched for me to believe. Like, when I first heard it, I went like I I was shocked, but then as they made the case for it in the podcast, basically saying like, yeah, he's doing a lot. He is one of the guys who looks like he can really turn his team into a contender and all this kind of stuff. You're like, yeah, maybe. Like he does have the skills. He does play the position for it. He, if you account for defense, not everybody plays defense in the league. Luka Doncic is up there, and he's not at all a good defensive player. So when you when you do factor in those things, you can you can see the argument for it. But seven just seems really really high. Like if you have him just after Anthony Davis, it it just doesn't sound right to me, which is kind of weird. And I hate like I don't I'm not talking junk to Pascal Siakam right now, but it just seems weird to to kind of say oh yeah the sixth best player is Anthony Davis and then it's Pascal Siakam right after like that just it, I guess I need to see more from him to really deem him that high, but yeah, it is it's, what it is. It's got to be over a longer period of time for me. I'm just someone who's slow to kind of change on those things. And also, you know, I think it just, to me, a lot of it is partially that the Raptors are so good right now and people are trying to reconcile how have they been this good. Pascal Siakam's great, so they put it on him when really – the confidence just throughout the team is so high that that's what's getting kind of slept on with this group. And I don't know if everybody is quite is aware of OG Ananobi, aware of Fred Van Vliet, aware that all these players are 
big time contributors. So they look to Pascal Siakam when really uh, it, it speaks to the organization's competence and the pl- other players on the roster that he isn't maybe a top seven player, and yet the team is still this good. Yeah, I agree. Does, sorry, does Pascal Siakam deserve to be in any MVP conversation at all? It depends on how you define conversation. So if you want to put him as the guy that you're throwing away, oh, Pascal Siakam's having a great year, then, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, He's been really good. He's leading one of the best teams in the league, and he certainly should have a name mention like that at the end. But if we're talking, do I think he has a legitimate chance to win the MVP or if he should be seriously talked about as a contender. No, uh, just it's a pretty pretty simple and shut case. If you look at him compared to, say, the top three candidates right now, which are probably Giannis, LeBron, and Luka Doncic, he just hasn't been as good as those guys this season. So if you want to throw him in the fringes of the MVP combo, sure, yeah, that's fine. But you can't look at his season and say that he's having a better season than Giannis. You just can't. So depends on how you define conversation, but I guess sure it's my answer. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And like if the if the Raptors end up with like fifty five to sixty wins, which is it's a bit of a stretch. I know they're they are fourteen and four right now, but uh, presumably they'll have a, a cold stretch as every team does. But if they do get up to 55 to 60 wins and you look at the team and in, in how he's they've played without some of their best guys injured, as I've, as I've mentioned a bunch of times throughout this podcast, then I think he does have to kind of creep his way up the ladder. I don't think he is going to get into that top three conversation with Giannis, LeBron, Luka, and even like throw Harden in there if you want to, to make it a top four or whatever. I, I don't see it happening, and I don't think he... He's not on that level of being like, yeah, he could possibly win an MVP because, yes, we've said it throughout this podcast and people are saying it all over Twitter, Instagram, social media, all this kind of stuff. Siakam is great. He is having a really, really, really good year. He's not an MVP, though. He, it's not, you, there's a difference between Pascal Siakam and what an MVP looks like. And it's not taking anything away from Pascal Siakam because he is leading this team and he is the number one guy and they are one of the top three teams in the in the league. However, it, an MVP isn't what Pascal Siakam is. And I like it that sounds kind of harsh, but like he is he is in the fringe conversation, like you said. He should have a name mention, but he's not doing enough to be warranted in, in the MVP conversation, I don't think. No, yeah, I think maybe the best way to put it, just kind of as you're talking, is conversation for the ballot, not conversation for the award. Yeah, that is very well put. And maybe we we should end the Pascal Siakam discussion on that because that was a very elegant way to describe it. So number number three is 72, which is how many wins Nick Nurse has got in his first 100 regular season games now obviously last year uh, he was kind of building off of a team that was really good already added a top five to six seven player in the NBA and Kawhi Leonard obviously the team is going to be really good however that team did miss Kawhi Leonard for 22 games last year and they went 17 and five without him 
ended up winning the championship, and he is one of the only coaches to do so in his first year. I think I know the answer to this. Is Nick Nurse already one of the best coaches in the NBA? Yeah, I, to me, quite frankly, yes. Uh, again, I am slow to change on these things, so I always try to take the cautious approach because I think it's really easy to get caught up in the moment and put guys higher than where they belong and then lower them back down based on a few things. But if you're talking at least the top five, yeah, I think he's in that range. Now, maybe I have him still below Pop, who's a wizard and finds a way to win games with these San Antonio rosters that I'm not sure how, or you put him below the Eric Spolstras, maybe even Rick Carlisle, depending on how highly you think of him. But if you're just talking in that conversation, he's up there. He's had a fantastic NBA championship season when he had the superstar. And now after Kawhi Leonard leaves, a lot of people take expect them to take a step back. They ramp up the defensive intensity. They change the way they play slightly to be more egalitarian. And here they are. It's one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So to me, yeah, he has to be in the conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And you can look at it, you know, with the all the defensive schemes that it seems like he's just kind of pulling out of thin air at certain times. Super famous for the box and one in the NBA Finals. But, you know, the 2-3 zones, the the double teams and all that kind of stuff that he uses that not many other coaches are using right now in this day and age. And, you know, pretty much outside of college or high school basketball, there's not really any coaches using some of the stuff that he does. And I think a really good way to look at how good a coach is or how impactful a coach is is how hard he gets his team to play. And that was kind of one of the things that when David Fisdale's name was kind of being out there on the, for being on the hot seat, it was that the Knicks weren't playing hard. And one thing that the Raptors are always doing is playing hard. Every guy plays really hard, and every guy has this gritty determination to win the game. And I think a lot of that does stem from the coach and maybe the motivation that he uses and the tactics that he uses to get guys into the game and, and how well he knows his players and how well he knows players in certain situations. So I'm right there with you. He definitely has to be in in at least the top five and should be in, in the discussion for coach of the year when it comes down to it at the end of the season. But that's a long ways away. Yeah, in regards to the defense, I think it's nice – to see a coach who there's so many preconceived notions that you can't run zone or you can't run box and one and you can't do all these things. And Nick Nurse has kind of been like, why can't you? And has been successful in a lot of these ways. And the NBA season is really long. 82 games is a long time. So you're going to, it makes only makes sense to try different stuff and kind of throw it against the wall. And if it doesn't work, then you don't have to come back to it. But I, to me, the way that he's just tried different things, playing Pascal at the top of a 3-2 zone, how many teams would do that? He's one of the riskier coaches as far as defensive schemes in the sense that he just tries different stuff, and that's something I really appreciate out of a coach. I agree. So moving on to the next number, and that number is 33, which is the career high that Norman Powell set versus the Orlando Magic. Mike, what stood out to you in this one to get him to that 33 points in his career high? To me, I, this is going to sound like kind of a diss takeaway, but it's just that he didn't seem to be doing anything crazy as far as what he was doing on the floor. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, Norm Powell is just catching fire towards the end, maybe a little bit. But a lot of these were just in rhythm looks for him uh, I just liked a lot of what he did as far as kind of just playing his game. It didn't 
feel like a force 33 in the sense that I don't think he was making these unbelievably difficult shots. So to me, it was just the ease that it came the way it came within the offense. He went nine of 11 in the second half, 26 points scored more than 50% of the Raptors second half points, which is absolutely amazing. And, you know, won them that game versus magic. Obviously there are other factors involved, but he's the main driving force behind that. So to me, it was just, that he didn't seem to do anything different than he normally does and somehow ended up with 33. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty much exactly what I wrote down here is that he nothing really stood out. You know, he just had a he just had a good shooting game and and you know, the the Magic were focusing really heavily on Pascal Siakam and doubling him sometimes when he was running off ball. When he had the ball down in the post, he was getting doubled like crazy and eventually they just found Norm Powell for the open looks and he was confident he was taking like you said the the in rhythm looks that that he likes to take and he was so open that he was hitting them nothing really nothing really crazy happened to me being like okay yeah maybe maybe he's gonna get really hot and I guess the third quarter was kind of where he really stood out I think he had 19 points or something like that in the third and and it was just like wow this is this is something else I haven't seen Norm Powell look like this in well, I guess outside of any time he plays Milwaukee, but it was it was nice, and it's it kind of is um, it's a thing that looks good on this team, right? You have a guy who is struggling in Pascal Siakam, and another guy is able to step up and take over for this team, which we've kind of seen, and is basically is what happening when Lowry and Ibaka went down. Everyone else kind of upped their game and and is playing really well to the best of their ability. So it looks really good on this Raptors team, and. And another thing I kind of wanted to point out was his his shot chart. It was very Mori Ball-esque, which is kind of what the Raptors are getting into this year. A lot of threes and a lot of in-the-paint twos. That's pretty much where that's where he was having the most success. And, you know, it doesn't look much different from how the Raptors usually play, but it was nice to see him really catch fire and, and have a really, really good game. Yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises to me was just how open he was on some of his shots. And despite the fact he was seemingly going off, he had a couple threes where it was just clean, easy shooting. So that speaks a lot to Pascal Siakam and the attention he was drawing. But yeah, I, to me, that's what it was. Uh, it was a lot of open shots, and obviously he had to take advantage of that and was particularly good shooting. Uh, to your point about the Mori ball, only uh, 24 or only 17% of his shots have come from the mid-range this season. So that's just kind of what he is as a player. He's going to live at the rim and he's going to shoot a lot of threes. So obviously that's kind of what you want in the modern NBA and Paul does that very well. Yeah, and it worked perfectly in that game against the Magic. Moving on to the next number and that is 92.3, which is the average opponent points per game this week for the Toronto Raptors. They didn't give up more than 100 points in any of their three games. Mike do you think it was just the teams that they were playing because they did have the Magic who were shorthanded without Vucevic and the Knicks in there after playing the Sixers on Monday? So was it the teams that they were playing or is this more of a the Raptors defense was really, really good? A little of both. I, you know, 92 points is such a low figure in today's NBA that if you're playing good teams and even if you're playing spectacular defense, you're probably not holding them to that. The Magic without Vucevic are pretty lost on that end, and the Knicks are just a totally incompetent franchise. So (laughs) it's it's something where it wouldn't be that low without the teams that they played. 
but obviously they're also playing great basketball. And I defensively, this team is kind of finding a rhythm and they're really sticking to that kind of stance that nurse has where he's going to shut down the star and all those things. And Aaron Gordon, who is their offensive star now that Vucevic is out had a horrible game against the Raptors. I don't think that's a coincidence. So yeah, it's a little bit of both. You don't hold a team to 92 points in today's NBA unless they struggle themselves, but it's still great defense by the Raptors. Yeah. Like you said, like it's, it's almost like you never see games where both teams are under a hundred points or one team is under a hundred points. Like in this day and age with so many threes that are shot with the pace that it's, it's being played at usually speaking a hundred points is almost a given. So seeing it uh, get dipped to under a hundred and being so low at 92.3 is pretty cool. Like you said, it's the Knicks and the magic without Vucevic. So like you can't take much in that one, but Philly who is also, more known for defense, but do have some really good offensive players. Uh, holding them to under 100 is also a pretty impressive feat for this team. How much better can they get when Lowry and Ibaka both return? Obviously, Ibaka's coming back tonight, but do you think this team can be much better without or with Lowry and Ibaka? No, I, to be honest, I just you don't get much better than third in the NBA no matter what, so how much higher can they go is part of the question. But, yeah, at this point, Lowry's kind of – his defensive on-off numbers have kind of gone down the past couple of years. He's not able to guard point guards anymore just due to his age. So, to me, he's more of an offensive impact than he is a defensive one. So, I'm not sure how much he helps in that regard. He's solid there defensively, but I'm not sure he's a positive added anymore. Obaka is – probably a positive, especially when you consider that he's taking over those Chris Boucher minutes at center. So maybe they get better, you know, on the court and they're actually a better unit, but I don't know if you'll see that in the standings just based on third is really high and typically teams regress to the mean more than they progress at their third in the league. So maybe that they are better defensively, but you don't see their numbers improve on that end. Yeah. It's, it's hard to see them get better. Like you said, um, and I do think that this group right now, as constructed, is a really connected group. And they they have the chemistry, and they kind of are all working together to the same goal, being in that we just need to stay afloat, which they're doing, where they're going above and beyond and doing that. But we just need to kind of stay afloat and, and really figure out how to win without these guys. And when they come back, and maybe the motivation uh, dips a little bit, especially in those you know, uh, uh, February or, or March games when things don't really matter all that much. Um, but we'll see. It, it'll be interesting when they come back because both those guys have such good defensive IQs. And, you know, Lowry maybe isn't the prime defensive Lowry that we know and love, but uh, he, he knows what he's doing out there and he's very smart and he works hard. Uh, as I mentioned with like that Raptors identity, he is pretty much the epitome of that. Moving on to our last number, last but not least, it is another defensive statistic. 37.8%, which was the Raptors' opponent's field goal percentage this week, which was the best in the NBA. Like we said, there was probably a bit of luck to that. 
They did play really good defense. They didn't play really good teams. How do you? How much stock do you take in this? I know we kind of talked about it in this last part about them uh, holding teams to a hundred points, but how much stock do you take in this uh, low field goal percentage for the team? Well, I think it's important. You know, they've been getting a little bit killed on the glass, uh, and they've still had the third-ranked defense, and they've been doing better on the glass, but they're still not great in that regard. So when you look at it, how are they being defending this well? It's it's holding opponents to bad shots, and 37.8 is probably, again, a figure that will regress to the mean a little bit just based on that's what happens when you're the best defense in the NBA in that regard. But I do expect them to be around the top or at the top all season long, when you look at the perimeter defense of this team with Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and different guys, they know how to just get up and defend. And then you have Gasol kind of dropping back, protecting the rim, Ibaka when he's in there. So I, again, want to stress that when you're this good, you're likely to regress just a little bit statistically. But do I think this is some kind of fake number? Absolutely not. I would expect them to be around the top of the league the rest of the year. Yeah, they're holding teams to tough shots, which is always an important thing to do. But that is it for our segment on the numbers of the week. And we will get into our game of the week and predictions for this upcoming week. So right now, we are going to get into the game of the week from this past week. I think we are both going to have the same one, but who knows? I could be wrong. The Raptors played the 76ers on Monday, and that's going to be my game of the week. I was super emotionally invested in this just because, the A, the excitement of it and how close it was at the end with all the all the big plays. And also, um, you know, the, the seven games that us Raptors fans went through last year in the playoffs kind of has me in my feelings a little bit about the 76ers. So that's my game of the week, Mike. What do you got? Yeah, it's the same. Sorry to the beating of the New York Knicks and the disgusting game that was the Orlando Magic game. That was just really tough to watch on both ends, in my opinion. But you're right. It's the Philly one. And I tell you what, when he missed three straight free throws after getting a phantom call, that was one one of the cooler moments, I think, in the regular season of the Toronto Raptors. So, that was really cool to see, and yeah, it's it's my game of the week for sure. I'm right there with you. Yeah, a lot of lot of really good moments in that game. You you mentioned the the three missed free throws, but also you know kind of people trolling Embiid with the the airplane, and obviously that Siakam and one was was nuts. Oh, and and the Ben Ben Simmons half court heave with five seconds remaining. Yeah, uh, that also yeah. was kind of nice to see. <laughs> yes, it sure was. So going into next week, the Raptors have a bit of a tougher schedule than what we've seen so far. They play Sunday against Utah Jazz, Tuesday Miami Heat, Thursday Houston Rockets, and Sunday again against the Philadelphia 76ers. They're all home games except for that Philly game. How do you think they do this week, Mike? Yeah, it's a really tough schedule when you look at just obviously the Jazz, Rockets, Heat, and 76ers are all and I believe the top four seeds of their conference. So all these teams are, well, the Jazz might not be in the Western Conference, but, you know, they're all really good teams. Uh, They're all kind of versatile teams, both offensively and defensively. To me, it's kind of the the sneaky matchup is the one against the Miami Heat. The Heat and the Raptors are going to be competing kind of for seeding all season long, and 
they're one of the kind of under talked about storylines of the season, how good the Heat are. So we haven't seen them play Miami yet. I think there's a possibility this is a four or five playoff matchup. So that's the one that I'm going to be looking for. Uh, they'll be coming off a day of rest, have a day of rest after. So everybody should be good to play in that one. And, you know, if they can take business out, take care of business at home, that will be a big game. Yeah, I agree. I do like that Miami Heat game as well, but I'm going to go with a different one, the Houston Rockets. And despite how much I dislike watching James Harden play basketball, I think it will be kind of cool to see how the Raptors try to stop him because, you know, he just came off that 60-piece. He's probably going to be looking to, to put something like that number up again, and it'll be cool to see how the Raptors at least try to stop him and, and see what they do against uh, a really good Russell Westbrook as well. Everybody, rate and subscribe, all that kind of standard podcast stuff for us. Um, subscribe, re- unsubscribe, resubscribe, all that stuff. Uh, I don't totally understand it, but I know that's what you need to do to make us one of the best podcasts there are for the Raptors, and then obviously tell all your friends. So we're back. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. As always, Hunter, Mike, peace.